We will be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 12. We are going to stay in that passage this morning, and uh, it reads as follows. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also the flows with many thanksgivings to God. I started off last week by saying, why do we speak about money in the church? And I answered it with this by saying this, we speak about money because it's not about the money. It's about deeper issues of our faith, deeper issues of our world, and deeper issues of the heart. We spoke last week briefly about the fact that we are enriched in generosity. And as we give, we find that we, the, the blessing comes to us even more so often than it does to the people around us. One of the ways that generosity enriches our lives is that it helps us, and we see it in this passage as well, to frame the relationship that we have with finance and how that fits into our discipleship process, our move towards sanctification, and continually challenges us to put God first. One of the things we're always wrestling with is the draw and the pull of materialism, the draw and the pull of consumeristic world we're in, and we're continually needing to make a decision that God will be first in our lives. And in God's strange way that God does things. This is one of the ways that we can continually put God first in our lives. And so we understand this. We understand that generosity changes lives. And the first life it changes is actually our lives. We change by being generous. But not only does it change our life, it also changes the lives of others. Staying in our passage <clears throat> that we have and that, we, that we're talking through as well, Paul writes this and he says, It supplies seed to he, speaking of God, supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Sowing means to give out. Bread means for us to consume. We have the balance between the two. As we receive food, we are enriched and we are blessed. But as we sow, we also are blessed as well. It says that he will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So, the righteousness that we have is increased through our giving, but it also, in our giving, it says that it produces thanksgiving to God through us. And so what I want to talk about this morning is how our giving and our generosity increases the harvest of our righteousness and how it produces thanksgiving through and to God through us. So what is that all about? How does generosity increase the harvest of our righteousness? Now, this concept of righteousness is interesting. Because when you think of righteousness, and it depends kind of how you approach things theologically, that can be understood in two ways. There's the moral way of understanding righteousness, and then there is also, we can use the term, the legal understanding of this concept of righteousness. The legal understanding of righteousness is simply this. We are in right standing before God. In other words, you are as you should be before God, not wrong standing. You know, let, let me illustrate this. When you kind of walk into the house and you have a bunch of flowers in one hand, you have a box of chocolates in the other hand, and you knock very sheepishly and you look out and it's your own house 
and the husband's coming home from work and he looks sheepishly around the corner to see if all is well. You know that you are in wrong standing with your wife. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, you are in wrong standing. There is a point. Now that's, that's kind of making light of something. But because of sin in the world, we find ourselves in the place where we are in wrong standing. We are not in right relationship with God. Sin has separated us from God. And so we find that this word can and is used in Scripture. Righteousness speaks about you are now in right standing before God. And the word that we use within Methodism is this concept of you have been justified. The legal requirements have been settled. You are in right standing before God. But Paul's not using it in that term. That's the legal understanding of this concept of righteousness. What Paul is doing here is he's using the moral understanding of righteousness. Are we doing that which is right? Are we actually acting in a way where we are righteous in our actions, not in our standing before God? And so we separate these two concepts of righteousness being a legal understanding and righteousness being something that is a moral outworking of our faith and the way we interact one with another. We know that the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart. The second is the same, love your neighbor as yourself. He says this isn't one of those things. That concept of how do we love? Do we exercise forgiveness? Do we exercise generosity to those around us? Is there a way where we are continually walking in a way that brings us together, doesn't push us apart? Is there a sense of doing the right thing with those that are around us? If we look at that, we could be, be kind of confused and say, well, is Paul telling us that by doing moral works, we can get legal standing before God? Okay? In other words, if I do what is right, righteous actions, will that lead to a place where I'm in right standing before God? And the answer to that question is no. Exactly right. It is incorrect because there is nothing that we can do in our own strength that will in fact save us. It is only by the grace of God. That's why we have Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9. Whenever you're thinking about faith, whenever you're thinking, what is this understanding of faith? How do understanding faith and works? Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10. In this passage of scripture, it is by grace you have been saved. Grace, you don't have, this is something God gives us. Grace, you have been saved. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift, a gift, something freely given to you. Not the result of works, so that no one can boast. <coughs> Moral righteousness can never earn legal righteousness. So we come back to our passage in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So what is Paul actually trying to tell us here? What is the connection between righteousness and finances? It's very simple. It is actually a very, very simple concept. The more we are generous, the more resources we have, the more Paul receives resources from the people, the more he's able to do in the kingdom of God. Giving empowers, in this passage, Paul and his ministry to do more. And the same is true. We can be as spiritual as we like about this. We'll touch on that later. We, when we are able to give financially into the kingdom, the kingdom of God can and does do so much, so much more. We speak about money. We don't like speaking about it in the church because so often 
Money is something that the greed of this world, that kind of desire to have more, creeps into the church and then people say, we need more money, we need more money, and it's used in all the wrong ways. What Paul is saying is when you have more money, it can be used in the right way. Money's a part of our world. Because people have misused money and they've done it in the wrong way, we get to church, we say, let's talk about money, let's talk about finances, and people go, we shouldn't do that. And a very important part of our lives, everyday lives, an important part of the life of the church, an important part of our faith, gets disregarded because somebody somewhere has done something wrong. We need to disarm this thing and say, hey, we have to talk about it. I, I can tell you right now that you probably talk more about money every week than you do about God. Some of you are like, uh, no, don't say that. I mean, it sounds very unspiritual, but it's true. Let, let's, let's be honest, okay? In Texas, people like to go hunting, right? Do people go hunting in Texas to eat? Or do they go to H-E-B to eat? <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? As much as we would like to not talk about money, you go to H-E-B, you're going to have to, somehow you're going to have to do a transaction and pay for it. It's a part of our lives. You can't get away from it. Now you can go hunting and you can eat what you shoot, it's fine. But the other thing is, I haven't yet, although I'm sure I will soon discover, somebody, I haven't seen somebody walking around who went hunting and then took the skin of whatever they shot and made themselves clothes and is walking around town like that because that's how they do things. We don't do that. We go to the shop, we buy, we use money to buy things. Now, as I say, I'm pretty sure somewhere in Houston somebody's walking around like that, but I don't want to find him, okay? <laughs> if you see him, don't tell me. I don't want to know, okay? It's a, real, it's a part of the world we live in. And so we have to have these conversations. On the 15th of April, you have to have a conversation, right? With who? The IRS. They don't want to know. They want to know what's happening with your money. That's right. So we're continually in this place where, where it's a part of our world. Let's not say it's not a part of our world. And if it's a part of our world, we say this. It's a part of our world, but it's not a part of my faith journey. It is a part of your faith journey, whether you like it or not. It is the one thing that we continually have to battle against. One thing we are continually dealing with. And we spoke about this last week as well. It is a part of our faith journey because Matthew chapter 6 we are continually in a battle between God and money. Some versions use the word mammon, speaking of like a God of money. That concept of this is, these are things. You can't serve both of these. You have to serve one or the other. And all the time, every day, when you're making a decision, we are making decisions our whole life. And we have to start with a decision that says God comes first and everything else falls in line with that. But that's one way it affects our faith. The other way is that it empowers us. Within our faith, we are empowered to do more for God. And that's just the reality. It is the reality of the way we work. Some people look at money and they say, money's evil. Money's not evil. Money doesn't have a morality about it. It's not good. It's not bad. And I've said this before, and, 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 and you might not understand what I'm saying. There is, there is no such thing. I mean, if, if you think that your money is evil... You're very happy. You can exercise it out of your wallet, throw it out of your life, get rid of it. It's not evil. It has no morality. But when I take it and I use it for evil, then it becomes used for evil and for bad things. 
Money can be used in addiction. It can be used in human trafficking. It can be used in, in bribery. It can be used to propagate violence. It can be used to propagate crime. And in that situation, one of the biggest things we understand, the love of money, not money, the love of money is the root of all evil, drives people to a place where they do things they should not do. That doesn't make the money evil. That means the people behind it are abusing it in a wrong way and it is being used for evil. But let's flip that around. Let's take that narrative around and say, if it can be used for evil, can it not be used for good? Is it possible when the, when the church, the body of Christ is empowered, how do we go into the community and feed the hungry? Now, I mean... I don't want to, I don't want to like, like undermine our faith, but when Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish, that's one way. We agree with that. But how many of you in your entire faith journey have stopped and went on a feeding program and did it that way? Do you know what we do? We use money and we go buy food and we say, listen, here's something to give to somebody that's hungry. And then we feed the hungry. Because we are empowered and gives us the ability to do more. There's the ability we can do that. The, whatever it is that we're trying to do, whether it is somebody who has no place to live, we can do that by taking finance. We can say, okay, how can we help find somebody a place to live? That is, money helps us do that. Now, we don't like talking about this. It sounds wrong to say it, but we have to disarm this concept and we have to come into it and say, but if we understand that, we can see how our finances and our generosity can lead to righteous acts within the kingdom that's where the righteousness comes from we can do things that are pleasing to god when we are empowered to do that last week we had some missionaries with us we would love to go and do a mission down there now there's going to be a couple of ways to get there the one way is we can fly the other way is we can swim down to costa rica i'm going with flying okay how do we do it it takes money to do things and this is how we're able to do it. We can do so much more as we are empowered financially. And that is an important part. The, the flip side, and I'll say this, I'll say it quite openly, is that the church, and I'm not saying this church, the church has not always been good with stewarding its finances. Therefore, we have a responsibility to be good stewards as the finance comes in as well. And these are things that we have to always continually. And I, I love the way... Um, the Methodist Church structures things, so you have those accountability structures in place as well. Money empowers the church to do more. There's going to come a time when we as a church are going to say, maybe that was about nine months ago, we want to buy a piece of property and build the church. Do you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to take finances, we're going to have to put it down. That is how these things are going to happen. If you want to restructure or repurpose a facility, you're going to need finance to do it, to pay somebody to do that. If we want to put equipment in our church this coming year as well, we need finance to be able to do that. Money is as practical as it is spiritual. It empowers us to fulfill the mission that God has called us to do. We're establishing a church. We're reaching people. And when we have finance and resource, we can do that through our acts of service, where we love our community, and also through evangelism as well. So money is as practical as it is spiritual. The more the church is resourced, the more the church is able to bring hope and life to a lost and a dying world. Paul's saying the same thing in, in, in 2 Corinthians. He's saying, you are supplying. I can then go out and I can do the ministry that I need to do. Please give. That's what 2 Corinthians is. 
Hey, I need you to give into this ministry because we need to go out and plant churches. We can do exactly the same thing as we are resourced as well. So Paul says, one, we get righteousness. It improves our righteousness. The other thing it says, it produces thanksgiving to God. It produces thanksgiving to God. Let me say this. Everything we do, everything we want to do, has to be about Jesus at the center. Now, we can go out there and we can look after the poor, we can feed the poor, we can house those that are homeless, look after the widows, look after the orphans, and then we get ourselves a nice front page photo and look what I'm doing. That's not what we're trying to do. Everything has to point towards God. That's at the heart of everything we do. We're not starting a church so that we, no, we're starting a church so that God's name can be made great. So that God's worship of God, the glory of God can rise within Sugarland. That's what we're doing. And we need to understand that and we need to push into that as well. In Acts chapter, chapter 3, sounds like we're just moving around the New Testament this morning. But in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go to the temple to pray. And as they go to pray, they meet a lame man, a person that has not walked. He cannot walk. He's sitting at the temple gates. They look at him. They take him by the right hand. They raise him up. It says his feet and ankles were made strong. And look what happens. When this man encounters the power, the miracle of Jesus, look what happens in his life. It says he stood, he began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and... Do you know what's interesting about something as simple? When you show up, with a meal for somebody that's hungry, that is a miracle in somebody's life. When you show up and somebody has nowhere to sleep, nowhere to put their head in the cold of winter or the heat of summer, and you say, can I help you? That is a miracle from God. When we move in and we are able to help people who are stuck in poverty, human trafficking, we can bring them out. If we do that, that is a miracle from the throne room of Jesus, and that makes God happy. And you know what happens? This is what happens. Now, not all the time. There are countless occasions in the New Testament of people that experience the power and the miracle of God. And when they experience the miracle of God, some said, hey, praise God, thank you. Others were like, Jesus, like, where's the rest of you? Weren't there more of you? Where were you? I mean, like, I mean, didn't you all receive this miracle? But, you know, that's not for us. We're not here to decide who will thank God, who will praise God. We are here to be obedient before God and bring the miracles that is called this church to bring into this community, to love this community the best way we can. And let's leave God to that part with the walking, the leaping, and the praising. God can work that out with them. But our responsibility is not that they praise, but that we give them the opportunity, the purpose, the means, and the motivation to say, somebody stepped into my life and my life is forever changed that's what we pray for that's what we move towards and so generosity allows us to reveal the goodness of god even through our works and revealing the goodness of god draws people to god it draws people to himself when you can walk into a place and show people this is one of the biggest problems we've had in the, in the church world the contemporary church is that everybody tells them that jesus loves them but nobody knows how to show them the church is more 
caught up in problems and, and issues. Instead of, instead of being, this is the hands and the feet of Jesus, it looks like, man, this is just a messed up organization that doesn't know what it's doing. Well, not the Methodist church, but anyway, other churches. But when you can go into the place and you can show people Jesus through our love, show people Jesus through our service, just that selfless giving of ourselves and saying we are here to love you, we're here to serve you. Do you know what we do? We open up an opportunity for people to respond and say, now that looks like a Jesus that I can follow. And generosity helps us to do that. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, and this is the NIV, it says it in a beautiful way. It says, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Watch this. How, how does he draw us? I have drawn you. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. The other versions say, and, and this is, this is the, the prophet will say, the continuing faithfulness of God that just keeps coming, keeps coming. When people encounter that continual faithfulness of God, they go, why does God love me? Why does God care for me? Why does God actually, does he even know I exist? How did God find me? Surely he must love me even in my brokenness. Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and the forbearance and patience? It says, do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? As we are able to show generosity, we are able to reveal Christ to people even through our works. We are able to bring those works of righteousness and that leads people to the place where maybe the acts of righteousness, the moral righteousness, does not earn us legal righteousness. Good works don't save us, but the good works we do for others might draw back a curtain and show people the love of Jesus whereby they say, well, this is a God I can follow. This is a God that loves me. And we get to do that. What a privilege. What a blessing. When we see God looking after our temporal needs, we are more likely to trust Him with our eternal concerns. When it comes to giving, let me wrap up with this. Anybody been to the seaside I would say Galveston, but I'm not sure that qualifies. Is that the seaside? <laughs> built sandcastles. Who's built sandcastles before? Your grandkids, when you were younger, you built sandcastles. You know what's interesting thing about building sandcastles is that when you go down there and you build sandcastles, you, you, you take your bucket, you take your spade, whatever it is, and you build it and you put it down there and everybody's excited and it's fun. And end of the day, you get up. But we know something about that sandcastle. We know something, even from the point we start building that sandcastle. We know that sandcastle is not going to stick, stick around. You can build it today, you go tomorrow, and you show up. That, it's gone. Hey, where's my sand? Mom, Dad, what happened to my sandcastle? It's called high tide, it's called low tide. We built low tide, high tide came, and it's gone. Okay? What I've realized in this world is that every season of our life, we build sandcastles. There's a lot of things that we invest in. We continually... We, we, we continue to take time when we put things into place. I mean, some of the things that we, we would invest financially into are the latest model of your mobile phone. 
I mean, don't worry, just wait a year, it'll be old. Okay, just, just, just wait. I mean, think about it. All these things. There's so many things that we feel that we can build in this life. Things, places where we feel we can invest. Not just consumeristically, materialistically. There's a lot of places we feel we invest and we feel, hey, that's going to make a difference. And, you know, some of these places, yeah, it does help. But the amount of time and energy and money we invest in certain things that are just sandcastles that within the next season just get washed away. COVID taught us how things that we really believed were so important just took one week or two and all just got washed away. And we're like, but I spent my life building into that. And we learned this, 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 this concept that actually maybe we should try and invest in something that's got more eternal value. Jesus actually notes this in Matthew chapter 6. And he says, he speaks about the fact that where do you st store your treasures? Stored in a place where moth and rust. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal it. Listen, by my age, I just know that whatever it is, it's going to, I mean, man, I can buy a brand new car today, but it's, there's, there's moth, there's rust, there's all sorts of things. Trust me, I'll be at the mechanic sometime. Because it's not going to last, right? Because as, as, as shiny as it looks today, these things just don't last. But there are. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. There is a place where we invest. There's a place where we can actually say, hey, this is a place that's got eternal significance. Where neither moth nor rust consumes, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Even as we practice generosity, I want you to think, and be very intentional in the way you practice your generosity. Understand two things we've learned over two weeks. We wrap it up today. It's done. Next week we move on to something else. We've spoken about finances. We've spoken about money. We move on. First thing, generosity changes my life. It changes my life. It helps me to keep God first all the time. It continually challenges me to say, is God first? Is God first? Is God first? Is God first? Sometimes wonder where we should get you know, on your wallet, you should write, is God first? Every time I'll, is, okay, is God first, you know? Maybe we should get credit cards made with a little thing on it that says, hey, is God first in my life? So every time you pull it out, you go, uh, okay, maybe I shouldn't be, you know. But we need to continually challenge ourselves about that. I'm not saying don't spend, and I mean, look, you know, I spoke about this last week as well. Please listen to what I said last week. Look, we have to look after ourselves, we have to look after our families. But then there's another angle to this as well. As much as we are enriched, we get to enrich others. And, and you might see yourself feeding the poor or supporting a missionary. Or you might see yourself giving somebody a place to stay. Let me just say this. Maybe you need to put on a different set of glasses and see it differently and understand that what you're actually doing is you're doing something very profound. God sees each and every person that you touch, every life that is touched. In some strange way, we are storing for ourselves up treasures in heaven and that's what we do we might do acts of righteousness generosity helps us to do that when we increase the harvest of our righteousness we're investing in that which will never wither or fade away we're investing into the eternal kingdom of our lord and savior let's pray